I'm very excited to welcome Fernanda Perez-Sola, who works as a Complaints Review Officer at the European Investment Bank. In this role, Fernanda investigates complaints of allegations of violations of FIB standards and policies, including on human rights. Fernanda has had a truly impressive career in the human rights field, and her professional experience extends to the Office of the UN Commissioner for Human Rights, academic institutions, and the World Bank, to name but a few. She is admit admitted to the bars of New York State and Buenos Aires. Fernanda's work has taken her to the Ivory Coast and the Democratic Republic of Congo, where she worked with the UN in both countries. Fernanda has a master's in law in international legal studies, a postgraduate diploma in international studies and a doctorate of laws. We will, I'm sure, hear more about Fernanda's fascinating career path shortly. But for now, welcome to The Passion Factor, pursuing a career in human rights. Well, thank you very much, Vicky. I'm very pleased to be uh, today talking to you, and I hope I can be of any use for any of the colleagues who may be hearing, and thank you for your very generous words about my work. Thank you. <laughs> so I suppose the first question is, and it's something that I ask everybody is, is where did it all start for you? Um, what motivated you to work in the human rights field? It for me started very, very long time ago, I have to say, I'm not so young anymore. Uh, it was in 91, 92, when I started my legal studies. Actually, I wanted to become a lawyer to represent uh, children in criminal court. This never happened due to how the pathways to get access to the judiciary in Argentina are built up. That was not easy. But then, during my law studies at the University of Buenos Aires, you have the opportunity to specialize in international law and in international law and international human rights. Then I had two wonderful uh, lecturers, two wonderful professors, uh, two ladies who were my inspiration. Uh, first, my professor of international law, and then later, my professor of international protection of human rights, who was at that point of time uh, the special reporter on the situation in Guatemala. And uh, the experiences of that lady uh, sharing to us as students, for me, was an eye-opener and saying, this is the type of work I would like to do, mm -hmm. uh, and was my, my source of inspiration. And actually, for me, I would say perhaps easier for others that need to change uh, patterns in life. Uh, it has started quite early uh, in, in my career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And I, I have kind of set out a little bit in the bio there about your own career path to date, but, but share a bit more with us about sort of how you got to where you got to and, and having read your CV, you've done some amazing things. Well, uh, and then very honestly, when I decided to specialize in international law, for me it was a hard decision because uh, I, I am the first person in my family who finalized um, a university studies. Then it was not to be an easy path. Um, and I have to say that my goal at that point of time was, well, I will see whether I will ever work for money in this area of, of work. And I have to say, I have been very lucky on that. Yeah. Then uh, I started lecturing, actually, at the University of Buenos Aires. Uh, and in this sense, um, I would say, I find that how the system works there, that you can, as a graduate, to register, pass exams, and start lecturing something that, unfortunately, I could not find later in Europe. 
And life brought me to the US. I won a scholarship to do my Master of Laws at American University. It was quite early in my career, uh, two or three years later, and that Master of Laws in International Legal Studies, also with a specialization in international human rights law, was also an excellent learning experience for me. And after that, for family reasons, I moved to Austria. You see, my, my Argentinian life at a certain point ended. I moved to Austria. I had to start from zero, honestly, uh, from this point of view. But let's say these academic achievements helped me to be admitted to the doctorate of laws that I did at University of Vienna with Professor Manfred Novak. That also say when you find professors who are open to admit a foreign students, a foreign student who they don't know, and they accept you as such. I worked in Austria for several years in the non-profit sector. Uh, I converted my law degree in Austria to the Austrian law degree. I worked there uh, representing refugees, representing asylum seekers, working with victims of trafficking. But then family brought me again abroad. I had to move to the US again. But I got other opportunities as finally I got admitted as attorney in the US. Uh, I started working again in the nonprofit sector, but they say this was already 2007, 2008, beginning of the crisis. Uh, the situation was not uh, the best. Mm -hmm. And then I took uh, the pass um, that is one if, if uh, I have colleagues who are interested how to enter, how to give a first step in an international career, for me, was uh, really the, of, the offers or the possibility to be a United Nations volunteer. Then uh, I registered for the roster, and very quickly I was called uh, to go to Cote d'Ivoire. And then I went to Cote d'Ivoire, I did an assignment there, then I came back and said, always when you have a family, it's very hard to stay longer in the field, unfortunately, but I see many, many colleagues, we all know that. I was hired again by the United Nations, then as a staff to go to the DRC. And then I got posted, uh, I got another post later in Geneva in headquarters, in headquarters where I worked for uh, five and a half years. Uh, but that position was for me, it was great to be in HQ, but actually from a professional perspective, let's say I was not very happy with the, my assignment and I got the position that I am uh, working on now and I'm finalizing this assignment right now that is at the European Investment Bank as complaint officer and I actually had one contract on this type of work in the US when was my move back in, in 2010. Uh, I got to work in this field in the Inter-American Development Bank. Then this has been, let's say, my life and uh, mm -hmm. subject to change and perhaps not as linear as I would have liked and Changing in, I have I say on one hand I'm happy to have worked in different fields, but also uh, I had to move forward and back between countries assignments, what has been quite uh, difficult and challenging. Yeah, I, th I think that's a very common story for many of us human rights professionals that our work takes us where it takes us around the world, and we sort of just have to jump and go with that. Um, certainly, I think that's been my experience as well. And I share with you that UN volunteer experience too, because I did something similar in Kosovo. Um, and it starts you off um, on your journey, I think, and then you see where you go from there. Um, for the people who are listening to this, who are students and young professionals, working in, and breaking into the sector, which we know is so very difficult and so very hard. Um, and, and there were a few sort of things I wanted to ask you about that. And, and I suppose the first thing is you've touched on it in your own career path is this whole issue of th further study um, and whether or not it's 
necessary for a career in human rights law. We see now many employers are asking for an advanced degree in human rights law or international law. In your view, do you think it's important to have it? Um, and if so, at what stage should somebody be thinking about doing it, i.e. straight after studying or after a few years of work experience? What's your sort of your thoughts about yes, it? Yes, this is, uh, thank you. This is a question that, uh, yes, is uh, very important. Um, mm. I would say today for how the situation is, if somebody has a job, a paid job in the area and is happy about that, I would not quit a job to do a master's degree or to pursue advanced degrees. I think right now, and I assume this is, you will hear this from most people, given uh, the COVID situation and given the economic situation in most countries. Uh, if you are happy with your work right now, don't quit your job to pursue studies. Now, if you are starting or the opposite, perhaps you lost your job due to the crisis. Uh, it could be a great opportunity. And I think even some programs are being offered online, then you don't you say, of course, relocating brings you other experiences, but if relocation for family or other reasons may be an issue, or also for cost, it could be a great opportunity. Now, um, I would say that there are also other cases as such, let's say I, I had the chance to specialize early on life. If you need to change, yes, probably if you need to change career paths, it is a way of proving or showing that you are interested in the field. Uh, but coming back, I would not quit today a paid position in something that interests you to, to pursue studies. I think it could be a, a path that you may regret or a step you may regret at this point of time. Yeah, mm -hmm, absolutely. But many young students who are, you know, are finishing their law degree and thinking, should I take that master's? What would you say to that? Uh, let's say if uh, right now there is no job in sight, yes, it's, a, it's an important step or coming back to the United Nations. For the United Nations, even for a UNV position, you will be required to have a master's degree and some years of work experience. Then the master's degrees will open you many doors. You will earn knowledge, of course. You will meet other colleagues. You will meet professors, as I said. Uh, beyond my uh, American university. I had also special reporters, professors. These are great experiences. Uh, you will meet great people that bring a lot of things to your life. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say trading today a paid job for that, I would really discourage, I'm very honest. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a really very practical of you because we are in this very strange time now and, and you know, the prospect of doing a master's degree is, is not only time, it's money, there's, there's a lot yeah. involved, a big investment yeah. in taking yeah. a master's program. Um, and so sort of aligned to that is, I suppose, and again, your experience, what skills and qualities do you think is needed to work in the sector? We know it's a difficult sector to be in, but what are yes. the skills and qualities that you think? Yes, uh, in my view, I would say top one is work ethics. Uh, and I want to say this um, link to other thing that is why you want to work in this sector. And I find that you meet in this life, in this career, some colleagues that perhaps they want an international career. I would say that in my very personal view would be the wrong reason to work in the human rights field. Um, I think that working in human rights requires personal commitment, requires that you understand that you are to the service of something bigger than you, that can be victims or survivors, who need somebody to help them to canalize their voice, being in advocacy, being in legal procedures. You are not in the center, they should be at the center. And for me, this perspective is essential. 
And I see that sometimes, uh, maybe life brought some people to, to work in this field. Uh, I, I try to, when I have the chance to select people to work, I try to look for this kind of personal commitment. This is for me essential. Then knowledge, of course, uh, you need to have knowledge, solid knowledge, try to keep updated, try to specialize yourself, try to say, that's why a master's degree, if you have not had the chance uh, before to learn uh, in the field uh, is, is useful, of course. And I would say language knowledge is also very important. Um, in a sense, or I can say in my case, my best job opportunities, my mother tongue is Spanish, but unfortunately in this field, I have used it very little. For me, it has been speaking French. Mm. Always I got my best uh, positions thanks to speaking French. Then uh, language knowledge, but seriously language skills, not the beginner level, but the level that you can work in the country where you are going to be posted, is is essential. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say humility, uh, because again, um, in this type of work, the center, in my view, are the survivors, are the victims, not you, then humility, and you will be learning from those experiences, you will see how you transfer those exchanges to other exchanges is important. And then a, also a practical issue is support of your family. Sometimes these careers are very tough. You will need to move, you will need to change places, you will need to take assignments sometimes in risky places. And then to have your family behind you, supporting you, understanding why you are doing these things and understanding why you're working in this field. Um, I consider that uh, it, it will be for you very helpful from a psychological point of view also. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I would absolutely agree with all of those things. And I think that commitment to social justice at the at the core is is really yeah. essential, because if we haven't got that, I don't think we can do yeah. our part. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and absolutely, we are, we are like that in the service to others. We are doing what we're doing to amplify their voices or to help marginalize. So yeah. very much so if, if we start from that point. And the languages is, is important too. And French has been also my story too. I, I worked in Strasbourg for a couple of years. And if you didn't have French to a good level, yeah. you were really yeah. excluded. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't doubt that through your career, you've um, sat on the other side of the table, um, employing people on human, for human rights positions. And many students and young professionals are thinking, what do I need to have on my CV at this early stage, which will make me stand out from the crowd? Again, I am talking from a very individual point of yeah. view, and many other colleagues may dissent. Uh, for me, I understand that some people may not find easily a paid job in human rights. Then I would say, I prefer to see your real job and to see your commitment other way than a fabricated CV to try to show what is not true. Then first, honestly, is key. People call and ask for references. This is a fact, I think, as uh, the labor market is every day more competitive, the checking of references is done, is performed, and please uh, don't lie, be honest. Then if you don't have the luck to have a paid job in this field, it's very important that you do something else that shows your commitment. I say you may have a paid job, but you can volunteer in, a, in an organization in the field that you are interested in working, volunteer online or volunteer in person as you can. Mm -hmm. Then also show that and explain that. I would say a person like me, I would understand that, may others not, but I think this is key. And, and I would call colleagues also reviewing CVs to be also realistic. 
to sing. Uh, I, I remember I had a manager at a certain point of time saying, we are a kind of Hollywood of human rights when you work for certain organization. And also to understand that you are on a privileged situation. Others who are applying are not in that privileged situation, may have much more commitment than you, then please read those CVs in a way that you try to put yourself on the skin on the candidate and see what is these people bringing me? Where is the commitment? And then show that in your CV. This would be my, my message. Yeah. And be honest. And that, that, that's really an important point about, about that pro bono and that volunteer. Yes. Because that, again, goes to that commitment point that yeah. you know, you, you're interested in the sector. Yeah. It's something I'm always advising students if they can afford to do it because it does yeah. come at a sort of cost there and, and also knowing how much you can give as a pro bono in pro yeah. bono volunteering i think yeah. Yeah. now as you say it tried also not to be abused at a certain point in one of my positions i was volunteer coordinator in an NGO in the us and for me it's also from that point of view let's say when you are in managing the teams from the NGO perspective, also not to be abusive, to understand those persons need a paid job if you're not in a position to give it to them. Make assignments of five, ten hours per week that I would say normal person can take. You widen your volunteer pool, uh, I say from both sides, uh, I would say from the person who is seeking to try to volunteer, but also from the recruiters of volunteers to be reasonable. Don't expect a person to work 40 hours for free for you. It's unfair. It's not okay. We should not be doing that. Try to separate assignments and have more people contributing. And that will also amplify the voice of the organization. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's a very important thing that as a volunteer doing pro bono that you, you know how much you can give to that organisation. You've got to get out something out of it as much as the organisation, you know, um, working with you. So it's, yeah. a, it's a very kind of critical relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something that, you know, when you're starting out in your career, which we have both done, I'm sure, is that whole piece around networking. And it's something that for me, it feels counterintuitive and we don't like to do it, but I think it's something that we have to do. And equally, I think in the human rights sector as well. So what has been your experience of networking and what advice can you offer to people who are listening about networking? <laughs> Let's say, yes, and it's a very, it's a very complicated and difficult topic because uh, particularly, let's put it this way, when you are in an internationalization, you know that you have procedures that have to be followed you should not be able to pick a candidate that you got to know through networking. Then, uh, I think networking is very important to make yourself current, to make yourself known. Uh, but I would focus for people who are seeking a job in networking, in broadcasting, what they can do. Uh, for me, sometimes I hear people uh, that ask you for coffee and say, well, can you tell me this typical that, you know, okay, it's nice that you call me, it's nice, uh, we can go for coffee, it's very nice, but I want to hear from you that you are the job seeker, what you can do, what you have done, profit that opportunity to sell what you are good at, what you are good for. Uh, for me, this is the focus. On the other hand, the effects of networking, um, as I'm saying, I think that uh, recruitment procedures have a level of complexity that networking will not focus on. Mm -hmm. Then it's good to be known in your field, it's good to have a name, it's good to be a brand. I would say focus on that, uh, that is the important part. Um, more than uh, the amount of coffees you want to drink with different people. Yeah, yeah no, it, it, it's a difficult one, and particularly when you're starting yeah. out, sort of reaching out to people who you might not know 
um, and asking for an, what I would call an informational chat, something like that. It's not that easy a thing to do, but I think it can bring quite a lot of value and it can be important. Uh, for me, perhaps for people at the beginning, I would focus really on the people who know you. Mm -hmm. uh, they say could be your professors, uh, your, the professional network of your family members and very close friends. And to start from there, and then again, that you want to work in this field, I find that um, sometimes uh, to be sending young kids to meet different people, uh, let's say, I would focus more, I think it's more useful to volunteer in an organization and to be known there some hours per week for what you can deliver than the amount of coffees you can drink for a week. But how do be more my message? Yeah. Uh, it's easier to land in a position through uh, contribution than through just talking. This is perhaps uh, my yeah. message. Yeah, very, you know, good piece of advice. So sort of moving on sort of or to, um, from working and breaking into the sector to the day-to-day -day life of, of working in, in the human rights sector. Um, so what, what does your average day look like at the moment? Well, uh, from when you have a job in headquarters, or, it's very different than you work in the field. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say in headquarters, uh, the job can be uh, more uh, routinary, more can be uh, more a routine. Uh, in my case uh, right now, let's say the job of reviewing complaints is uh, a task for colleagues who, who may be interested in this field. Uh, the different international financial institutions come with accountability mechanisms that in a way try to substitute their immunity to suit these mechanisms exist. And then you receive those complaints. It would require that you have good interactions with the complainants that are from civil society, can be indigenous communities, etc., to try to understand their concerns. And then you need to conduct an investigation, so a compliance review uh, to analyze whether the concerns that they have revealed actually show a violation of rules in the case of, of the institution where I'm working. And then at the end, you prepare a report and this report uh, becomes public. Then um, let's say in this type of work, it, it requires interaction with different stakeholders outside the institution, the complainants, as well as inside the institution, because actually are the colleagues in the organization who hold the documents that you need to review and they need to make them available to you. And then you prepare your, your investigation report. But it's uh, quite, uh, let's say, compared to the field work, I would say field work can be much more exciting. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, and, and that might kind of bring me to the next question is, you know, you've had such a very exciting and interesting career. What has been the highlight? Oh, well, the highlights, that was, uh, for me, let's say, an achievement uh, was the publication of my doctoral dissertation. I have to say that, uh, okay, you finalize your, your doctorate degree and then uh, your doctorate uh, research is uh, deposited at university to find a publisher and to edit that, that process was for me, let's say, quite a thing. Uh, then to have uh, done that uh, was uh, was an achievement. Uh, and I was I'm, I was very happy. I, I would like to have the time to update that work or to write a second book. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, someday this will happen. Yeah. <laughs> Another aspect that I would say I, I am quite proud of, uh, representing asylum seekers and refugees has for me such a rewarding uh, field of work in the sense that 
uh, with the environment we are living today, and say even in the European Union, with regard to refugees, to help that people get asylum, get a stable legal status in the European Union is amazing. And then, especially those cases that you say it looks impossible, unfortunately, the person in the first interview was not very to the point, the claims were not well documented, and then thanks to your assisting that case, representing that case, you get that that person got asylum, for me, is amazing. And uh, perhaps my, the last highlight, uh, in my posting at the United Nations in the DRC, uh, it was a very particular project, very specific, because uh, the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights was recommending uh, reparations. Uh, there has been a high-level panel on reparations for survivors of sexual violence, and I was deploying there as to prepare the projects and consult the survivors on the measures of reparation that they would be um, willing or wishing to, to have. We, uh, the office had got a donor for that. And this of consulting the survivors was such a powerful experience because you say, and, and again, I come back to this, the importance of the voice of the victim and on the voice of the survivor in the center. When you hear the story, when you hear what they want, you say, that's why I'm, I'm so happy that I have specialized in this field, that I can be here listening to these people. And also, I think we cannot discard already the reparatory effect that is for these people to be heard. Mm -hmm. And you are, in certain point, representing an organization there and hearing for them, you say, and the people will tell you, we are so happy that finally we were heard. Yeah. This is, uh, for me, has been very, very rewarding, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some really very, three very, very sort of important things and, and, and all very diverse. But the second one that you mentioned there about representing asylum seekers and refugees, that I was also an immigration and asylum lawyer. Mm. I had that same experience. But unfortunately here, I, I think I got six people asylum in the six and a half years that I was doing it. But when, when you did, when you got somebody through the hurdles and the challenges yeah. of, of legal systems, yeah. Yeah, to a place yeah. of safety. Yeah, means everything. Yeah. It really is. Yes, 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 yes. Some absolutely. Um, so a little bit of a a left to centre question, really. Um, thinking about sort of people through our human rights careers, be it a mentor, be it an advisor, is there somebody through your human rights journey who kind of made a difference to you and helped you or supported you or or yeah? It's well, here I. Unfortunately, I say I had been thinking on this issue. Some I would have loved to have a mentor. I never made it. Yeah. What can I do? But I had some people that, for me, uh, marked the way I work, marked the way I see things. Mm -hmm. I mentioned before uh, my professor of international law, Dr. Griselda Capaldo, excellent lecturer for me. If you want to be a lecturer in international law, this lady, the model. I mentioned uh, the, my lecture in international human rights law, uh, Professor Monica Pinto, who was a special reporter on Guatemala, and was later a special reporter on independence of, justice, uh, of uh, judges and lawyers. Another lady that also uh, her passion for the topic, her passion for the field. And among my managers, perhaps people I could highlight and say that also mark me how I work. In one of my first assignments, I work at the World Bank, I had the luck, one of my very, very early assignments, I worked with the uh, legal vice president of the World Bank that for those who work in this field, Dr. Ibrahim Shihat, unfortunately he has passed away already some years ago, has been 
would say, the Pope of international development law. And then to have worked with that person that had a work ethics and understanding of international law is a super. Uh, in the same field of law, Daniel Bradlow at American University that guided research, uh, research of me, also an amazing professor, amazing ideas, uh, great. And in the field of compliance review, uh, who was uh, the former president of the inspection panel and also of the panel at the IATB, uh, Dr. Werner Kine, also a great figure. I say I had the luck to have this type of managers. Mm -hmm. And somebody I would also like to mention, because for me, this type of roles are key and sometimes we don't play these roles. My first manager in the field in the UN, Mr. Jean-Marie Calama, who was very generous to me. And I want to highlight that. When you get junior staff and you're a staff, do you take time guiding Young, younger colleagues and this colleague took the time brought me to meetings with him i knew that he was mentoring me in that work in that past and he did it and it's not so usual that that happens that people are generous and say i bring my younger colleague to meetings with managers with meeting with authorities some colleagues are generous and do that i invite also those <laughs> who have these roles to be like that yeah yeah no, i think it's really important that that, that you have somebody or mentor mentors during your career path who can help you along the way with the good, the bad. And, and you know, you get different things from different mentors. I yep. say mentors, but I use that very widely or advisors mm -hmm. of people who, you know, who are supporters and allies yep. as you go along this path. Something that is, is coming out more in the human rights sector is the kind of flip side of, of the, of the work. And, and you've definitely alluded to it as well, that it can be very, very tough emotionally and physically you've been to some hardship places around the world there um, and so I think it's very important that those starting out are aware that this work is difficult work um, and so I guess you know what can you say to that and, and burnout and stress is a real issue for many people and what advice can you offer to those who are starting out? Yes uh, I would like to say that um, as I for instance I could never have been a medical doctor uh, this uh, field for I could not be exposed to, for instance, I, to be present in a surgery for me would be unsinkable. This type of work requires you to be exposed to the trauma of others that can also come tra cause trauma to you. Yeah. And then for me, a first advice is also to be honest to yourself. If you notice that this is not your field, don't torture yourself. You may be excellent at other things. Uh, this, this kind of listening to the suffering of others may not be your sin, point one. I would say also to be a bit honest to you. And then if you love it and you want to work in this field, it's very important to take care of yourself. Uh, and how to take care of yourself? You will be exposed to histories that you may have wished that never had happened, that never had existed. Um, it's important first to be aware of what we call vicarious trauma, that listening to the other person's story is very likely to cause trauma to you. Then you need to deal with it. And perhaps uh, my first uh, word of caution is you need to know your body to know your reactions. See how your body is reacting to what you are listening, to what is happening. Uh, and then as soon as you notice that things may not be going well for you, to take action and to take action may be is your organization offering counseling is uh, any possibility to uh, for you to get to support to a psychological support is it ask for help uh, for your own healing 
And now, uh, something that is also very important, I think in this field, I, I spoke of work ethic, but also there is a word in German that sometimes I, I for me, hard to translate in other languages, this upgrade, so to be able to limit yourself from the topic. I mean, you are not a victim, uh, and uh, this is job also, this has limits. You cannot also intend or pretend to work 25 hours per day. This is also not healthy. Then also to put limits, is healthy, is professional, uh, and you need to do that. And uh, you, if you see that your environment, your manager is not asking or helping in that, you need to try to, to get there. Um, I, I would like to give perhaps some examples of how I, how I have dealt with these issues. Um, I worked for some NGOs where counseling was offered, not only individually, but to the team, that regularly there were some kind of grouped debriefings. I see for those who manage teams to offer this chance that you can have counseling for the team, etc., to debrief um, regularly or for particular incidents. This is very helpful. And for you to listen to your body and to see when you are getting too much stress, when you are seeing that things don't go, limit yourself. You need to take breaks. Uh, do yoga, uh, listen to music, do what is good for you, uh, see what calms you down, what relaxes you. You need to take, uh, as I say, each of us is different, perhaps what relaxes others is stresses you. <laughs> Get your own uh, way of what makes you good, what makes you healthy, because actually your health, you want to be a hu good human rights lawyer, you need to be healthy. This is essential. You are not to sacrifice yourself to give the life for others. This is not the purpose here. But uh, this would be my ask for help if you see you cannot handle the situation. No. Yeah, I think that yeah, absolutely, all of all of those are really important and valid. And 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 if if we are not sort of on top of ourselves, then when we are kind of representing others, we can't do our best job. Yeah. We really yeah. can't. So, but it's becoming more and more prevalent, I think, in in our sector. And so, for people who are starting out, I do think it's important that they're aware that there are these kind of challenges around yeah. this work. Yeah. Um, so I think sort of drawing this all together and, and what sort of final words of wisdom can you offer or, or sort of the, the, the best piece of advice or maybe more than one piece of advice to, to those starting out in, in the human rights sector because there are so many people who do want to work in it. I would really encourage those who love this field. It's a field that is very rewarding but it's very hard. But please do it. If you love it, do it. And think that the needs in this field are Unlimited, let's put it this way. Uh, then uh, uh, perhaps something that I would like to highlight. I see some colleagues very focused. I would say, for instance, I want to work in international criminal law in this little issue. No, that is exactly what I would discourage. Please be a little open. Think that the field is very broad, that the needs also change, and try to keep going. For me, be persistent and try to keep going. If what you dreamed is right now not available, try to look for a near field. Uh, if it serves you my example, perhaps international protection of human rights was, is my beloved field. I work in compliance review that is very near. You are working in mechanisms that do some review on human rights. Then look for fields that are near where you can use those skills, when you can use that passion uh, as to keep yourself there and to make your dreams come true. Yeah, absolutely you know there's definitely that thing around sort of allied areas so you know if yes. you've got your core area where your heart lies but you yeah. might not be able to get there or you can't get there so working in areas yes. around yes. that yes yeah. um 
What advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> well, uh, my younger self, perhaps I would have asked for more help. Sometimes when you are too young, you don't dare. Um, and then right now, let's say more than 20 years later, <laughs> I would say uh, to have been more honest, uh, asking for help. Sometimes uh, to be less shy in that sense. And then I say not help meaning asking for a paycheck to the first individual you meet in the street. No, 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 no. But perhaps asking for more advice and more guidance to the people I met at that point of time, uh, that is helpful. And I, but I think that younger generations are more, let's say, direct and more open. Uh, we were shyer. Yeah. And, and following rules and um, yes yeah. no, I, think, I think that that's true actually people are not that shy and coming forward yes now. yes um Fernanda, thank you so much for being thank on you past um for sharing your thoughts and advice and i know that it's going to be of great value to those people that will be listening into this so really really a very big thank you no thank you and i wish all the best to all of you listening uh, in these difficult times that everything works out well for you yeah